0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. Um, Every week, I try to give a word or two to describe uh, the episode. I use words like fun, exciting, interesting. Today's episode is all of those. And um, I want to add another word, historic, maybe. And, you know, in today's world, it's so easy to look at new technologies coming out and how they're implemented. Uh, But very few people take the time to go back and understand where those seeds were planted. It's one thing to see a tree with leaves um, blooming. It's another to understand that somewhere, someplace, somebody had to plant a seed in order for that tree to flourish. And uh, it's going this conversation is going to be exciting because we're going to be talking about Google's new Bayview campus, uh, probably one of the, if not the most innovative uh, new benchmark for corporate real estate campuses in the United States, if not the world. So that's the exciting part of it. Um, but the, our guest today, Mark Golan, VP of Real Estate Investment Management at Google, um, had was knee deep in this campus construction design, and is offered to share with us uh, his ideas, thoughts, and experiences on this uh, on this groundbreaking project. So, with that, let's bring in Mark and get the conversation going. How are you, sir? Good to see you.
1: Good. How are you, Jim?
0: Good, and, and I, I, I would uh, venture to say that we go beyond just business peers, and I would call you a friend at this point, um, given the hundreds of conversations we've had over the years and, and the collective scars we both must have um, in this world of real estate and technology. So thank you for taking the time out of, I know, what is a very busy schedule.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: So, um, to give people some context, it's one thing, you know, to say that you know you're in the midst of the the top echelon of decisions for real estate at Google. Why don't you give everybody a quick journey or summary of your journey on, on what companies you were with and how you got to this place?
1: Yeah, um, you know, my career is an interesting one. It's one of those ones when you look back, uh, no one in the right mind would ever. If, you know, plan this thing out. You know, it was kind of one of these random walks that just sort of ended up where it did. I started in investment banking. So strong finance background for eight years before coming to the corporate world uh, on the corporate real estate side. And then uh, I've been at uh, a number of tech companies, including uh, Hewlett Packard, Sun Microsystems, Cisco, and and now Google um, in a variety of capacities global uh, head of real estate at, at Cisco um, for about eight years, but interspersed into there were, um, you know, other periods where it was at Johnson Controls, uh, running their America services business for a few years and was at startups um, acting as a, you know, either CEO or lead executive in a few startups in uh, sort of the clean tech and IOT spaces. So, I mean, there is any common theme, I guess, to my career, it's been, uh, uh, you know, kind of this intersection of real estate and technology, which, you know, I've always sort of seen as brethren that don't recognize that they are entirely brethren. Um, you know, that's kind of, I've always described it as enabling infrastructure. Um, and that's kind of, you know, probably the the biggest common theme I've had.
0: And And going back, I think I met you in 2003. So that would be 19 years ago. Imagine that um and then dave clue and i took that journey to asia which you were very involved with and, and aware of and then you know after that cisco's building 14 and the venture into the cisco's venture into the smart building side i mean you were instrumental early days in in setting that foundation is am i correct
1: yeah, we had we had a good group of people, like you said. I think you know Dave and and there were others too that that we had on on our team, and um, we were trying to push the edge. And I think you know part of what was interesting was being at Cisco, where the culture at the time is very much one of wanting all of the corporate functions to show relevance to the core business. Right. And I, I found that it was very easy to actually find relative you know, relevance to the, to the core business at Cisco. It was just a matter of applying it to our domain where there was tremendous application. I mean, the whole concept of building systems convergence, which was at the, the core of what Cisco did was an obvious extension. Absolutely. But then as you get to converge systems, you start to enable the smart building. Right. And then we enable the smart building. There are a lot of things that can kind of come of that. And so what you saw on the whole connected real estate area was really just an offshoot of those concepts and, and just thinking broadly about, you know, as we kind of move to convergence and then intelligence and sensors and whatnot what does it do to the world of real estate and and how can that you know again be relevant to at that time you know cisco's core business that, that's really what it was about
0: And i as i'm hearing you speak i'm thinking this should be like a four-hour podcast because i mean it to understand the future i think it is worthwhile to take a little bit of a look at the past and if you would have told me 20 years ago as we were setting off for asia that you and i'd be sitting here 20 almost 20 years later and, and we still, I don't even think, you know, are out of the first inning. Uh, I mean, I, I think we're just now seeing some really big players over the last five to ten years. But, you know, from a general sense, a lot of the things that we talked about years ago and have been promoting our entire careers still aren't mainstream. Um Still, still, even no, it's not. And, and
1: you know, as we were just discussing before we came online, I, I, you know, what I realized quite a while ago is this is not a technology issue. This is a standards issue. And yeah, you know, the the industry uh, requires standards for very good reasons. But those standards both are good, but they're also bad, right? Because they do block innovation, and it makes it a lot harder to bring these new concepts. To bear into the real estate world because you have to break standards to do it and these standards are things that took decades yeah. i mean literally decades to get people to agree to and I, I think that has been the you know the single biggest barrier to the speed of innovation right it it, yeah. it happens it just happens at a glacial pace
0: at a glacial. yeah that and that that's i think what i got wrong was i said logical idea you know big problem logical solution let's do and and, and, the, and the, the multiple layers of the real estate industry and the lack of standards. And, you know, I, I think right now there's probably if you said I want to make a smart building or a smart campus, yeah, you've got at least 25 options of, of different combinations of technologies. And with 25 options, people are a little hesitant to do that at scale.
1: Well, it's got to be there for 30 years. It's got to work exactly. and be serviced. Right. And uh, anyone who's been in this space. Those people have lost their jobs by being too innovative. Um, yeah, we don't
0: say that on the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, well, I you know. No, look, I'm joking. It,
0: it, I'm joking. That is no, it, the that
1: reality. That's the problem is this stuff, when it's in a building, it's got to last for 30 years. It has to be serviceable and it can't break. Right. And exactly. you know, so a company that may be innovative, if they're not around and you put that all the way through your building, that becomes a problem.
0: Absolutely. So let's let's pivot. Um, give me a little idea of what your daily activity is, or your daily activities are, uh, in relation to your role in real estate at Google right now. I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, there's now, and there's been over. I've been at Google for a little over seven years, and my role has morphed um, constantly when I've been there, which is pretty typical of Google. So ran the entire Bay Area, and then we kind of created. development side to google and in classic google form we went from there we're having built a building to the largest office developer in the united states pretty much overnight um and so went to to run the development team and now i'm playing more what i'd almost probably the best description of it is like a portfolio management kind of role within the context of the portfolio so kind of looking at the asset class of real estate within Google and, and helping to really rationalize that portfolio, just given all that has been going on.
0: And I couldn't think of a better person because with your background in technology and, and what technology enables us to do, live, work, play, wherever, right. And it took a pandemic to convince the whole world, you know, that we, we do have some flexibility and fluidity, but I think your combination of skills are perfect for what you just described, right. To understand what real estate is valuable and why and, And what role does it play, not just today, but in the future? So let's go on to the campus itself. I think we got a couple photos. When did it start? Whose vision was it? You know, what iterations took place, and um, you know, how did you come up with this masterpiece that we're looking at?
1: Yeah, so I mean, Bayview is uh, to say it's a long-term project doesn't quite capture it. Um, Bayview predates me. Right. So when I came on board, which was seven and a half years ago, Bayview was already in design just to, to put it in perspective. So Bayview and Charleston East, which is the other kind of what we call squome sort of structure that's over in the right by the Googleplex, Um, you know, they're, they're very unique to probably Google, right? In the sense that these were R and D projects really plain and simple. Um, you know, Google had never built a building. Uh, from the ground up. And as it started to become clear that it was going to be increasingly difficult for us to get the quantity of real estate with the quality that we needed for the company just through the market and that we would need to move to the developed space. Um, At the time, Larry, who was still very much in the saddle as CEO, felt very strongly that he did not want to build just a standard building, that he kind of felt that that you know, buildings were still indicative of thoughts and technologies that were decades old, and that if we couldn't do better than that, it just showed we weren't innovative. And so the idea was to think very, very differently from the outset and see how hard we could push the edge on a variety of fronts. And uh, the end result here is you know what you kind of see in Bayview and Charleston East. They are they're very interesting buildings. I think they're very cool. They are. Um, you know, but they are themselves, right? they I, I would not say that, oh, we're going to go build a zillion of these things. I think they are they are the result of the process that they followed. Um, but they are unique. So obviously, one
0: of the objectives being Google was to be innovative, right? So that's number one. What were some of the other high level objectives? Was ESG in play back then? Was sustainability, you
1: know, well, sustainability most certainly was. Um, you know, look, I, I think, yeah, innovation just was on a whole bunch of fronts. I mean, Larry, you know, really felt strongly that innovation also had his uh, connection to economics and that he felt like any idiot could spend zillions of dollars to produce something unique, mm-hmm. but then it wasn't scalable. No one else could build it. Right. Because he just took zillions of dollars to build this thing. So he felt for anything to have an effect. It ultimately needed to be cost effective so that it could be, um, you know, sort of scalable over time the 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 concept at least one of the concepts that we attempted to do at bayview and and honestly never really got to its full fruition larry just you know particularly in the in the california area looked at a building and said these things are rigid right you have curtain wall it doesn't move it's not adaptable and and it's not adaptable because you need this curtain wall to protect the building from the environment but then that creates this boundary that you can't mess with and he, he thought, well, what if we could build a dome, right, that essentially protected the environment, you know, or the, or the, the people from the environment in a more cost effective way. But then that allowed the underlying building to not have a curtain wall, which means in theory, it could be movable. We can almost make this out of Lego blocks. Right. And, and so the idea was almost this this concept of a cheap dome and then you know, building blocks that could literally be moved around by a crane if necessary, so that you could alter not just the interiors but the buildings themselves under the dome and and change the building as needed over time rather than being this fixed object. That was the it one it of the concepts. Like such a
0: simple idea, a logical idea, one that we should have come to conclusion centuries ago. <laughs> Maybe we did. How, how did how, what did the architect who came up with that? Was that Larry or was that? Was that a, a common? I mean, there was a lot of
1: people involved. I mean, we had a lot of folks both inside the company, um, you know, and ultimately uh, Big and Heatherwick were the two joint architects, right, on on the project, which was interesting. It was the first time, you know, these two kind of star architects ever worked together, right, right on a project. And, and, um, so there were a lot of folks that were weighing in and and I mean it it was like as I, when I, I used the term R&D and I meant it like this was an R&D project this you know was not meant to be the super cost efficient thing because it was an exploration as to you know where how hard we could push the envelope and um honestly where we ended up ultimately was a combination of that plus some practical realities eventually kicking in against some of those those stretches,
0: but you—I mean—you think about the concept of single-use buildings, and then the flexibility that technology offers, mobility, and and you know, connectivity like we've never before seen. Um, I mean, you can transform this building from one use to another in a relatively short period of time. Correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, it did, we didn't succeed with the the cheap envelope and the movable building blocks in the center, but what it is 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 a massive floor plate, right? So. Um, And this is another thing that is a very Silicon Valley centric. And particularly, I think Larry and Sergey were big believers that, um, you know, people interacted better against horizontal planes than vertically. Right. That as soon as you go to a different floor, it acted as a massive barrier to interaction. And this was testing the edge of pretty much how big of a floor plate you could get to. Right before maybe you know you kind of hit some sort of maximum. I mean the the you have two of these columns at Bayview, the larger one, I think it's about three hundred and fifty thousand foot floor plate. Right, so it's just absolutely massive on on two floors with some courtyard you know penetrations coming down. But that kind of openness does create tremendous flexibility because most of the zoning we did create tables to kind of at least break up. The 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 flow, right? But a lot of the zoning comes from more what you would almost think of as robust furniture systems, almost rather than a physical wall because you can't have physical wall unless you're going to build it. Eighty feet high.
0: We actually did that at our conference in Orlando last year, where we took one environment with a fifty foot LED wall, and with a click of a mouse, we changed the scenery on the LED. We altered the lights, we moved the furniture, and we opened walls. We changed one room to four environments, literally with a click of a mouse and moving some furniture. Yeah. And and I think that's the future. Um, Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some features of the campus that really play into the innovation and technical discussion. Be right back. All right. Um, Before we get to the features, one real quick question. Um, We we just came through an unprecedented uh, pandemic, never seen before in my life, your life. Um, Did that? Did anything change? Did the building's original visions and goals hold, you know, strong, um, or did you know the pandemic say, ah, if we knew that, we would have done something a little different?
1: I, you know, with this particular project, it didn't have a, a huge change. Other, I mean, the 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 furniture systems again, right? You know, how we manage the floor was being rethought along with everything else, right, within in, within the Google portfolio, and so. I, that's the only place I would say there was potentially some impact was just trying to think, are we still going to be trying to create the exact sort of experiences and environments um, on this floor as we did pre COVID and we were experimenting with some new systems that then we kind of redid some of it, um, you know, be, before we we opened the, the top floor in particular, but that was the main impact. The rest of it pretty much held firm.
0: Through. That's awesome. Yeah. Sometimes when you're planning that far in advance, when we see the massive shifts like we saw through the pandemic, you could come out the other end and say, "Uh, oh, we, we, we shouldn't have done that. All right, let's get into some of the features. Um, you know, looking at the photos, reading all the, the prep material that you'd sent us, as well as, you know, stuff we'd read uh, before. The roof, the heating, the lighting. Just give us a high-level overview of some of the technologies and the systems that you have got in this uh, stunning project yeah well i mean
1: again the, the sustainability was a, a a very large part of the vision right from the beginning um and so we looked at you know everything we could possibly do to drive sustainability you know when you look at the roof all right it obviously is a, a really interesting looking roof right with the the kind of curve yeah, yep yep yeah so if if you have some you know pictures you can kind of see that, but it is entirely covered in solar panels and uh, we spent a lot of time researching all of the panels that were available in terms of.
0: Did you have to customize those? Were those made specifically? For uh, no, you they know? were ultimately.
1: It was a. Uh, it was non-customized. We were able to pick something. But again, when you get back to when you know what's available in the market, you know sometimes you're really bleeding edge, right? In terms of. You're finding companies that had just started producing this stuff. And now all of a sudden you're going to come say, Hey, yeah, why don't you cover this building? Right. Which is, (laughs) you know, this behemoth. So, you know, they're sitting there thinking their first project is going to be, you know, some house somewhere. And then, and, you know, so you always have these sort of scaling issues, everything from color, obviously the efficiency of the panel, the ability to work on that kind of the surface, these are all things that were, Looked at for years and years and years, and we were assessing exactly where the technologies were and therefore what we felt comfortable using at scale well,
0: and what you um, what you also accomplished is from an architectural design standpoint, everybody says you know on the exterior panels you know square rectangular panels, there's no aesthetic value here you built the technology into a really cool design
1: yeah it, it yeah it does not look like like you said, like a building that has this solar array stuck on top of it, it's just integrated in. So just, part of that, fact, even looking at it, you may not even realize they're solar panels.
0: Right? I yeah, at and first you, I didn't realize until I read I read all the information. Yeah,
1: yeah so uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, massive impact in that the entire building is electrified, um, and you know it allowed us right to, I mean, from a certification standpoint, we're, we're lead platinum, but you know, from a water standpoint too, by the way, we actually generate more water than we use on the site where LBC water pedal. Um, Is rated. that
0: water coming out of the sky water?
1: It's a combination of the, the water. Yes. Coming out of the sky and um, are basically recycling the water within the facility both through great water, but also through treatment, um, that we've actually gotten to the point where, like I said, we actually return more water to the environment than the building actually uses. That's crazy.
0: That's absolutely crazy. I mean, think about well, what you just said. I mean, and I've, I've traveled a lot, as you have, and I remember seeing some crazy, efficient, simple systems in Costa Rica, places where people had no choices, recycling of water. Nothing near as sophisticated as this, but what you just said, can you imagine if more people took that to heart and and gave it the thought that it needed? Um, You know, everybody talks about energy. I talk about water just as much as I talk about energy. Um,
1: Well, I mean, as you may be aware, Google has made a commitment to not only be carbon free by 2030, but we have a water commitment that we will actually, across our entire office system, um, return more water to the environment than we use in a similar time frame.
0: That's incredible. Um As we're looking at the picture the below you, um, light. I mean, I, of course I want to talk about connected lighting and and all the you know new LED systems and low voltage, but you you rely on Mother Nature again. Can you give us a little overview of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the big things was was the control of light in the environment. When you talk about a dome, I mean, in the beginning, if you think about a glass dome, yeah, we would have had plenty of light and plenty of heat and plenty of glare and plenty of everything. Right. And so it was very clear that just a straight glass dome was not going to work. And, you know, what we created were these openings right around the dome that let light in. Um, generally, you know, again, if you have a north face, you don't have to worry about blinds at all. But we, you know, we didn't want straight sunlight hitting people's desks. So we do have some blinds that help manage that process in areas that aren't a north face. But the end result is 100% of the desks have access to both natural daylight and views. And when you're in that building, particularly on the, the top floor, uh, there are no lights needed during the day. I That's mean, it, it is pretty much 100% lit by. Uh, natural light, I mean, you have some accent lights and some desk lights that people really want it, but honestly, you don't even feel the need to use it uh, because you you have such, not just access to natural light, but natural light that is done in a way that isn't glaring and, and obnoxious, frankly. Um, and that, that was there was an insane amount of time and effort put into to having that happen.
0: Think about how different that is from about 98% of every other building you've been in. I mean, so far, your water statement, your electrical generation statement, and your natural lighting statement, those three things would be phenomenal each onto their own, but combined. Um, I mean, you you basically, your R&D proved it can be done at scale.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, it kept going, I mean, with materials, right? We, we have over 3,000 products that were tested um, to make sure they were non-toxic, um, and then you know, from a construction standpoint, we had 85% construction diversion in terms of any of the waste from the construction project. Um, I mean, you know, it was, the, the, again, sustainability just at the, the core was just part of the ethos that we had. Uh, geothermal, it is the
0: largest geothermal, yep.
1: geothermal system in North America. Um, it had eliminated a half of our carbon emissions just through geothermal and uh 90 of the water that's usually used for cooling was eliminated as well
0: so just real quick high overview geothermal dig holes in the ground run liquids through pipes to create heating and cooling correct
1: so yeah this thing sits right by the bay so the entire project was built on piles so you, you I mean you look at the size of this thing you imagine how many piles they are every single one of those piles were geothermal piles wow. so um they were Driven, I forgot exactly how deep into to the ground with piping, so that we're able to do natural cooling, right, and/or heating, right, by using geothermal energy, right, into the system, and it, it has an enormous impact on. And repeat energy.
0: the savings amount again.
1: Um, I it, mean, it was again, we half of our carbon emissions, right, were eliminated, and like I said, ninety percent of the water for cooling. Well, the the solar alone, by the way, is four megawatts.
0: And I'm 50, assuming there's a thousand. massive battery storage someplace. Yeah, yeah,
1: so not as much. No, we didn't go with the batteries as much. I mean, I, I, again, I think that's that's a technology that's going to be really interesting as you know we kind of move forward because that's obviously the the big thing is what do you do at night or um, you know whatnot, but uh, uh, you know. Yeah. We didn't focus as much on battery storage, honestly, as, you know, again, if you think about it, most of our uses during the day, so for the most part, we had sufficient solar there to, to drive most of the building.
0: You know, we we're going to run out of time. We didn't get to the in-building wireless conversation. We didn't get to the smart building conversations. Can I ask you maybe sometime later this uh, fall into the winter to come back for another 30 minutes to kind of wrap this conversation?
1: Yes, we're happy to. to help and
0: out. and I want to say thank you. Uh, a few select group of people who attend Cortec are going to be very fortunate to tour uh, this headquarters. You were graciously offered to allow um, a small bunch of people in and, and I understand you and your team are going to personally give the tour. And uh, that's pretty special. And I just want to say thank you for that. There's one thing to talk about it. And it's quite another to see there, you know, to be able to go there and see that. So thank you for that. Yeah. It's, it's fun to see. It's
1: a striking building. It is not, it is not a normal building.
0: I, I have one final question. Um, Google, obviously reputation, you know, nobody close. Um, and now you've applied that innovation to the real estate department and specifically this campus. How many people in the real estate community have come by taken the tour and talked to you about all these extraordinary things you've achieved?
1: Quite a few, but it was limited. And, you know, obviously with COVID, um, it was a big problem. And then even when we started to reopen, you know, there was always the concern that we can control, you know, sort of the environment from our employees or vendors, but not as much external. So, you know, It's really just recently that we've been opening up a lot more in terms of allowing guests again to kind of go through the building. The other thing, by the way, is, I mean, ads is in this building, right? It is a really important group. And so, um, just in terms of our ability, you know, to allow people to just walk the floor of the engineers, right, is uh, always limited. That's always been the case. So, um, you know, we're able to do tours. We generally kind of stay on the, the bottom floor, but it's, uh, we can only go so far, I guess. It is a, a very operational facility. So
0: I, I just I, I just to me, you've achieved things nobody's achieved. You've created best practices and milestones and case studies. It would just be terrible for people not to take advantage. And hopefully, more people will you know after this today will watch this episode. Few people will get to go on the tour. But um, you know, the the, the work you've done needs to be shared so others can learn and and um, take advantage of your willingness to create literally an R and D project, you know. Uh, which yeah, is- and there, there
1: going to be some other buildings too that are either up. I mean, the twelve twelve building that I you don't know if you've seen that—that that was the first thing we put up. But the mass timber building that's now just finishing up Caribbean. We're going to have a lot of very interesting projects for people to kind of take a look at that that are quite different from Bayview, but achieve results um, in different ways and, and in some cases much more cost effectively.
0: So um, I was talking to Emmanuel Daniel from Microsoft at the conference and I jokingly said, so uh, is there I always had you know, a desire to have my office in a treehouse. And, and about a week later, he sent me some photos of you know Microsoft has got an office set. With, Treehouse. So hopefully, you've got tree houses someplace in your future. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the mass timber building is, uh, you know, I'm sure you, you've obviously seen these things before, but, yeah. you know, this particular one is done in a way where we have exposed the wood uh, to a very large degree. And it, it's sitting in a location with just spectacular views. So the combination of the views and the warmth of the building is it's definitely something did, to see. When
0: you did that project, did you uh, talk to the folks at UBC, University of British Columbia in Vancouver? Yeah, mean, I'm, I'm sure the
1: team has. We have yeah. we have done a tremendous amount of research on on mass timber across the board. Uh, they they, they, they built a residence.
0: They built a residence out of timber that got quite a bit of attention. So.
1: Yeah, no, it's a really exciting area right now. Um, Who'd have you know, thought, right? a lot of attention. <laughs> We're going back yeah.
0: to log cabin skyscrapers. <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
1: I mean, you 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 can get awfully high at this point. It's uh, and again, when when done right uh you know again the warmth of it is is, Incredible. is striking we had uh you know our cfo um you know walk through the mass timber building and literally was like mine like just done yeah. like we're taking this building over just yeah and, and again if you if you saw the building you're like yeah i get it right it, it's it's a beautiful building
0: well sometimes what is old is new right i mean yeah we, we can't forget the good ideas geothermal is one that i've been following for 25 years and I have no idea why we haven't taken more. It's kind so, of a you know, no-brainer. It really is. Kind of a no-brainer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we are unfortunate. We went way over. I don't care. We always do, you know, with great conversations. But um, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, and thank you again for the the Core Tech tours. Really appreciate that. And I'll reach out to you later in the fall, um, you know, maybe early spring. And we got a couple more topics about this project and others that I uh, would love to get your insight on. So Sounds so. good. All right. You have a great day. Thanks again. Thank, Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. With that, let's bring on Lisa Woods, who's going to give us the news this week. Um, Lisa, I am so sorry. Uh, we went over a little bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was a great conversation. Wow. What an impressive project. Yeah. I can't wait. Well,
0: it. It's hard to get access to people like Mark. They're so busy. There's so much in demand, and he's always been so gracious with his time and. and you know, yes. he's at the tip of the spirit. I mean, you know, you want to talk innovation, it, you can't get much more than that. And the thing I love about a lot of the people we hang with, it's not just a PowerPoint presentation or theory. These people are doing things. I mean, right. this is technology, you know, in, in play. You know, it's not just a theory or, or somebody saying this is what we could do. These people have the tenacity and are willing to take the risks.
2: Right, yeah. right. Well, like you said, it's the, this is different than ninety eight percent of of other real estate projects. It's it's just it's just so different. And they've taken you know a number of risks and and just really gone out to the edge. So I think it's but they really, did their
0: homework. Really. They did their homework. You know, obviously they did their homework. But the key right. is they were willing to take the risk. That exactly. that to me is the I, we've been doing this a long time, and there's great technologies, new ones every day. But if you don't have a, an infrastructure or a culture that's able to assess the risk and then implement risky or projects, you're just going to keep going round and round and and be frustrated because um, there will always be a shiny new object. But you know, right. at some point, you got to put this put the stake in the sand and do it. So,
2: right. Well, this should this should serve as some inspiration for for some of those uh, owners and developers who are who are thinking about taking the plunge and doing something a little different.
0: And if I was a developer getting ready for a big project, I think one of the first things I would do is watch that episode yeah. because it may not seem, you know, what did you learn? I mean, listen to what Mark said, but also listen, watch what Mark did, you know, study the trajectory, study the journey, um, because that is as significant as the end result. You know, That's right. So. All right. Let me get out of your hair and uh, I'll be back when you're done with the news.
2: All right. Sounds good. Thanks. As all of you know, our weekly briefing newsletter goes out every Thursday with the top seven to eight stories impacting commercial and corporate real estate and technology. And then in this news segment, we highlight a few of those articles that we think you might find important. So our lead article this week is from McKinsey Company and making the workplace magnetic again and what role technology, data and customer experience plays in that. So this article focuses on the results of two recent surveys that McKinsey and Company conducted. The first, they asked more than 25,000 U.S. workers about their experience with remote work. In the second survey, now it went to 12,000 people from all regions and occupations and beyond the typical office worker. They asked about how much flexibility matters for people reentering the workforce. The results of the surveys led McKinsey and company to three specific points and the article dives into detail on each one of these. These points are people are are working differently, space is being used differently, and the third outcomes should be measured differently. So understanding these three realities, the article suggests that real estate owners and operators can tap into opportunities that not only attract tenants, but using intelligent technology and planning, not to mention understanding the value of real estate portfolio flexibility. Their space may fetch a higher price, making real estate a source of competitive advantage. So this is a really good article. It's only a five minute read. So check it out. Our second article focuses on the importance of IAQ, which is indoor air quality and healthy air in buildings, and was written by our technology partner, Carrier. The article sets out right away to to define its purpose, and that is to help building owners, facility managers, and engineers frame the right questions in order to appropriately assess and optimize indoor air quality. It takes the reader through seven important steps toward healthier air, regardless of the age of the building, the condition of the HVAC equipment, or the complexity of the built environment. Some of the questions owners should ask themselves may not be as intuitive as you think, and range from the simple, like what are the goals of ownership and what problems are they trying to solve, to questions of the assessment of occupancy levels, identifying tax incentives, and evaluating service and maintenance plans. This is just a three minute read and has a lot of good information. If you're interested in air quality for healthy, sustainable buildings, you'll want to make time for this one. Finally, our last article spotlight is about the U.S. General Services Administration, GSA, in collaboration with the Department of Energy, has recently announced a new request for information regarding technologies in the market that will help achieve net zero carbon buildings. This is significant because GSA and DOE are coming together seeking help from the industry on identifying technologies that help the GSA's greening of their footprint. And through the dollars that are provided in the Inflation Reduction Act, their hope is to transform federal buildings into high-performing, high-tech test beds for clean energy innovation. The article provides the details around the specific technologies they're looking for, as well as deadlines for the RFI submissions. So go to our website in the news section or grab the newsletter that went out yesterday. Also in the news this week, just a couple of things I wanted to mention. Procore is expanding digital twin partnerships through an integration with Willow. Middle Tennessee State University's Glass House marks the largest smart window installation in U.S. higher education. Another article on startups: Startups shed over 42 billion dollars in value. And finally, nearly half of corporate real estate heads are increasing flex space investment. There are probably one or two other technology articles that I didn't mention today, so take a look in your inbox when you have a when you have a chance, or go to our website and click on the news link. So, Jim, yeah, great, on great job, hi,
0: Lisa. And I'll, I'll tell you what I get out of the news more and more every week is that we are absolutely in the midst of four five six different paradigm ships all happening at once you Now we got all these great technologies coming but some of them were built for models where people were in the office five days a week you know eight to ten hours a day people right. are looking at flex space hybrid space you know and that's just as a result of the pandemic so we're starting to see people really think about you know who comes in and when and for how long mm-hmm. what do they expect when they get there and then on top of that we've got this carbon challenge um, there, yeah, and, and quite frankly, I think it's a challenging time for building owners and operators because they got things flying at them from every angle, you know, right. and the question is, you know, where do you prioritize? You got a dollar, you know, to put into a building, where do you put the first nickel and then where do you put the second quarter, you know, and it's, right. uh, it's not always an easy decision. So hopefully right. we can help sort through that. Um, so thank you, Lisa, for the news. And, um, before I wrap up the show, let's hear from our final sponsor and I'll be right back. Access, manage, and measure your entire facilities portfolio. FM Systems' all-in-one workplace management platform enable facilities, corporate real estate, security, IT, and HR professionals to maximize the use of their facilities. Manage real estate costs in a smart way and ensure employees and visitors have healthy, safe, and inspiring workplace experiences. Plan against an ever-shifting, unknown world of work with FM Systems. All right. Uh, Thank you to Mark. Busy guy. Uh, Really appreciate him taking the time uh, to tell us about Google uh, and their new campus. Um, And then also, uh, you know, give us a little preview what a very small group of people are going to see if they're lucky enough to get into that tour for our Cortec uh, event coming up in mid-November. So one of the things we didn't get to talk to Mark about was the wireless, which we're going to have him back on. You know, and he was telling me earlier that, you know, they're having some struggles with Wi-Fi and, you know, because it's such an open environment, conflicting signals and what have you. But um, in line with that topic of indoor build or indoor, you know, wireless 5G and beyond, um, next week we have got a great conversation with two very smart guys. So it's easy to get up and say, oh, Wi-Fi is great. You know, 5G is great. Let's do it. And it's quite another thing to understand. I've been on a, a conversation uh, for about six weeks now with some really smart people trying to unpack what 5G and in, in building wireless really is going to look like in the future. Uh, just to let you know, in an average cell phone, there's anywhere from 10 to 14 radios with different um, uh, frequencies and doing different things. And we're going to talk about that next week with two really, really smart guys, John Morris, co-founder and CEO of Ballast Networks, and Chris Wixom, VP of Wireless uh, Commercial Sales at Corning. These are, these are two really smart guys. So if you got any questions uh, about 5G, and not just 5G, but wireless in general inside buildings, you're not going to want to miss this episode. So with that, I say thank you to everybody that helped put this uh, together. And um, you all have a great day, great weekend, and we will see you next week on RealCom Live. Be well.